you are listening to Committed, an ongoing conversation about relationships, marriage, intimacy, and sex. Mm-hmm. So Tay and I were just talking about how we, we ended up recording a podcast and, um, um, you know, it all goes back to Somatica because Tay and I met at Somatica in 2019. And Somatica, how would you describe Somatica? What would you read your description of it? Sexual, passionate, fiery, diverse. Mm. Like, Somatica was interesting because it was a complete leap of faith for me. For people like you who lived out in California and knew of Somatica, and then it sort of was an underground thing previous to us, right? Or it began as like an underground thing almost. And when I went out to California to start Somatica, I started learning very quickly that, oh, a lot of these Somaticats have been in this group for years and years. Like they, this is the fifth time they're coming to this training or they knew someone or they dated someone that had gone back in the day was how they described it. But the goal of Somatica is personal growth and also professional growth. And so what I found was that you were on one of two tracks if you were there. There were some people who were there, therapists, coaches, soon-to-be coaches, who wanted to train professionally. And then there were other people that were there for the community and for the personal growth and to just enjoy the intimacy that you get to experience being in a group like this because walking into Somatica was like, to me, it was like jumping onto a waterbed, like heavy acceptance, full acceptance. Like a waterbed accepts everything that you are mm-hmm. when you jump onto it. Mm-hmm. It completely morphs into the shape of your body. That's how I would describe somatica. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I would say it it morphs to your body. It's accepting of everybody. And it was quite diverse. There were some things I'd never even heard of at Somatica. It was, it was really wild experience. Um, I remember at the time thinking it was, it was life changing. It was, it was something I'd never experienced before, even in California. Um, the way that they approach certain things, the subjects that we discussed, I remember thinking how wonderful it would be if this was part of a, a high school education, almost like there were some basic things like consent, like the basics of consent. Like that's something that's more commonly taught nowadays. But, but when I was a kid, like the word consent never really, like no one ever said get consent, but nowadays that's very common. Um, but beyond that, um, it's very sexually positive, like accepting of all sexualities. Everything is valid. Um, uh, the, Deep levels of intensity you could get with someone else through non-sexual activities. Um, remember that thing called it, the exercise called attunement? Mm-hmm. I thought that was really uh, something I remembered um, pretty well. And attunement was like 
it's been years since I ever actually attuned with someone, but it's like staring into their eyes and kind of holding their hand. And I think the goal was like your breath would sort of like synchronize with theirs. Your heartbeat would synchronize with theirs and you would be attuned to their body. But it does lead to a, a deeper level of intimacy that I didn't really know was possible. Mm-hmm. So what was really cool about Somatica was not only that you would talk about these subjects that you're not going to find in psychology today, you're not going to find in your average college course, you would talk about them, but then you would actually experience them. You would have, you would find some random person in this room full of a hundred somaticats and you would do the exercise that they just list. They just went through on the, on the stage. Um, and that was the really terrifying part, but the also really exciting part. That was the leap of faith for me is some of these exercises were, were, were quite foreign things I'd never done before things I was never not necessarily uncomfortable with, but not familiar with. Um, but it was in a safe place. Um, and, you know, it, it was a wild experience. People were hooting and hollering. People were crying. There was a lot of, like, trauma coming up out of some of these exercises. But uh, I found it very eye-opening. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I really wish Somatica had, like, a basic online course that anyone could take, not as a practitioner, but just as, as just awareness of some of the material we covered um, I think we always joke that they should have like a TV show based around what they were doing as a vehicle for, for teaching what it, what it was that they were into. I, I still think that would be a great idea because honestly, I think they do. Did they actually make one? Here she comes. Oh my God, you're right. Isn't that a TV show? I don't know for sure. But anyways, this is not marketing for Somatica right now. True. True. It's not but, marketing. But also, yeah, what was so unique about Somatica was that you got everything from attunement, conflict repair, which is just called repair, but, you know, is most commonly used in conflict, but you can use it out of conflict. You can use it anytime when you're having a challenge with someone else and you need to come back into attunement with them, doing things like that. And how to switch positions in bed in a way that is sexy and how to throw someone up against the wall and how to, mm. you know, dominate another person, how to, I don't know if they called it a cat crawl, but how to flirt. Like we practiced all of these tools right there in our training and yeah, you really don't get that anywhere else. Yeah. So it and was, some, it was very intense. It was very intense. And now that you mentioned those things, like I do like all of those things nowadays, I don't even think about them, but some of those things I was able to de-shamify myself. Like, you know, my animalistic desire was always there to do something like throw a woman up against the wall. But because I'm a six foot two, 230 pound man, I've always been like afraid of doing that because I didn't want to hurt anybody. But in Somatica, I remember like tearing up once because Annie was like, it's okay. You can do this. You can do it to me. And I did it. She's one of our teachers <laughs> and I did it. And it was just like, it was like a cathartic experience for me. That one little interaction was cathartic. And I've done that many, many times since then. And it's been wonderful. So um, I think for people who grew up in um, any sort of environment that was sexually repressive, basically any, all of, Catholicism, many religions, um, but not even religious, just sort of like 
non-sexual or anti-sexual families. Um, it was or just uh, normal. Yeah, just normal. Just yeah. normal American families that just never mention sex. There's no sex education. The only education you get is uh, the education that you get in the school system, which is abstinence-based. Right. And yeah, like heavily religious families, obviously there is shame around sexuality, but also even like in my family, there was shame that I felt around sexuality and my family was not heavily religious. We had religion integrated into our lives, but not a serious amount of religion was present. Yeah. It seems to be a heavily American problem. Our puritanical roots continue to like program our, um, the conversation around sex. It's been changing a lot in the last few years, which I'm really happy about, Mm -hmm. but it's still something that it's going to require a lot of work and progress. It'll get there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just happy to see some change coming from it. But anyway, that's where we met was in Somatica and it was wonderful. Yeah, we went at Somatica. Mm -hmm. And we were in the same group, the Orange Gasms, the Orange Group. And uh, yeah, we've been friends ever since. And that was four years ago. So um, and it sounds so funny because you say the orange gasms, and I think it's important for us to go back for the people who are listening here to kind of understand because, you know, we're talking about a training that's extremely sexually open, and there were a lot of people in that training that have different pronouns and gender identities and sexualities and practice non-monogamy and polyamory. And so it's almost like how did Taya get out there to do that almost? And so I I don't want to go back because I come from like finance and project management and it sort of seems confusing for me because I've practiced monogamy my entire life. And that was the only way of being in my book before somatica and I have two kids and I live what many people would call the American dream. But I was working in finance and I dealt with separation from my ex-husband when he left and I decided that I needed to do something for myself. I already had my master's in integrative health and healing was sitting on it, raising my kids. I had my two kids. They were very young. And my life basically blew up before my eyes. And so I started researching. I started Googling because in my master's program, I had done an internship with my uncle who is an art therapist. And I was interested in midwifery. And I had had my second daughter at home And so I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what is my purpose? What is my path? Because I had really identified with being a wife, being a mom, and I really needed to step back into my womanhood and discover myself and discover what I was all about. I was heavily, heavily holding on to my codependent roots and that I was very much struggling with, meaning Fitting, wanting to fit other people into a box in order for me to be happy, meaning 
you know, my ex-husband can't leave. He needs to come back or else I'm not going to be happy. We need to work on our marriage. That's what's important to me. And so somatica was deeply healing for me, but I'm sitting there one day before I even knew about what it was and I'm Googling and I'm thinking to myself, I don't think that I want to do a whole nother master's program because that's a lot. And I don't really have that kind of time. And so I stumbled upon Somatica, had one call with Celeste, and I was like, let's just do it. I don't know. And I'm like in Connecticut, never been to California ever in my life. Literally, I was still breastfeeding. Like my youngest daughter was so young. And so I decided for four weeks of the year, which was going to be one four trips out for one week about each, I would fly out to California and I would train at Somatica and I was just going to see where it went. And I remember walking in and seeing Irily actually sitting at the table and thinking, oh, this must be Celeste because I had no idea who she was. And it's funny because I thought most of the other people that were there, like they had an idea of what Somatica was and like what they were there for and what they were signing up for. And I had no idea, like absolutely no idea, like not even a glimmer of an idea. My my conversation on the phone with Celeste was, how much can I expect to charge clients after going through this program? Because I do want this to be a track where I come out starting a business. And so that was a lot of the content of my conversation with her, not about all the different things I would learn at Somatica. So we were assigned to our groups and I looked across the room and you and I met eyes and that was it for me, at least there, there was just this connection there between us. And for the rest of Somatica, we were inseparable Mm -hmm. just every night, dinner together, hanging out. (laughs) And it was very fun. And I think one of the reasons for people who haven't yet listened to the episode where we started going into my trauma, the one that we just recorded the other day, Somatica was so healing for me because I got all of the love and attention that I needed, especially in that moment where I was really grieving and struggling with losing my marriage. And so it was the perfect medicine for me. And I remember flying home every time after training, crying on the phone to someone, either it was you or it was Matt or it was Shane crying that I had to return to the fake world, as we called it. Somatica was the real world. Everything else was the fake world because I would come home and I would just be alone. And I would be honestly very dysregulated at that time. And when I flew out to California, I I just felt like I was reintroduced to a group of lovers it's just how if I've just felt so held and comforted and 
I just wished that the world could be more like Somatica. Like people truly listened to each other. They truly cared deeply. They they regurgitated back to me what I had said to them to help me understand that they understood me. And there was just so much compassion that I experienced there that it was just unmatched to anything. And so it was so shocking to come home to an empty house and people who were disconnected from themselves and so therefore could not be connected to me. And and so that was the hard part. But one of the great things that came out of Somatica was my relationship with you and this amazing friendship that we've built. And, you know, that has lasted over the years. So. Yeah, it's been great. I can't remember not being friends with you at this point, actually. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And we're separated by about 3,000 miles, so. Right now. Right now. (laughs) But sometimes you're closer. And I remember I went through my own little period of grief when you moved from D.C. back out to California. Because Mm -hmm. I remember when you sold your place in California and then moved out to D.C. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I love this. You know, and then when you said, all right, I need to get back out to California, I was like, no, please. (laughs) Go west, young man. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was wonderful. It's been four years now. It's been great. And uh, that's all thanks to Somatica. But um, yeah, no, that was a wonderful experience. Um, I I would go back to Somatica just to be around the people. I don't really... Mm -hmm need to do the course again, but I do miss that. I, I only found out about Somatica because a buddy of mine who had done it mentioned it. And it was literally like in a sauna we were talking about, I can't remember. It was something, something sexual or relationship related. And he's like, you should look into Somatica. I did it a few years ago. You'll probably learn a lot. Um, and he was right. And this was back in the course, probably late 2018, because we did it in 2019. And um, I had been pretty much monogamous until 2018, I would say, actually, was like the last year I was 100% monogamous. But I had been confused about this because I had always been drawn to like the non-monogamous mentality, the ideology. I think I had read Sex at Dawn, which is one of my favorite books now. And that book really kind of opened my eyes and it it really de-shamified people who have a desire to be non-monogamous. I think that's what the effect was for me. And uh, I was kind of like confused because I was living in Washington, D.C. most of the time. And you can't talk about non-monogamy in D.C. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of infidelity going on in the Capitol. But, um, you know, it wasn't a conversation you could have in Georgetown where I was living because everyone, no one understood it. Everyone was married they had kids, they were living out in the suburbs. Like everyone I knew, they just, they wouldn't understand what I was talking about. It was like, it was like talking to a, someone who goes to Burning Man every year in the middle of Topeka, Kansas. Like it just doesn't fit. It does, That person doesn't fit in there. <laughs> no offense to people in Topeka. I'm just picking a random Midwest city. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, no, going to Somatica was great because it was, uh, I was surrounded by people who, 
were open to having conversations that were sort of not misaligned with the norm of what, you know, 90% of people, 95% of people do. And so for me, recently entering this non-monogamy world, but feeling isolated because I didn't know what my, more my tribe was, being in Somatica gave me that tribe, not only a, a place to learn more through the academic component of it, but also just to be around people who are also like that and makes you feel more comfortable, makes you feel more accepted. Um, and that was it. So yeah. And then we've been friends ever since. And you and I talk on the phone all the time. And at some point, I think you said, you know, we should probably be re be recording these conversations because we would always have really great conversations. And it might have been about typically something I would say relationship related. But you and I would always, because I'm coming in from this sort of like non-monogamous angle, uh, and you are coming in from the more traditional monogamous angle, we can kind of like inquire to the other person from a different perspective. I wouldn't say either of us is ever like, quote unquote, right, but we can ask questions from a different perspective. Whereas if we were both on the exact same page, it would be much more homogenous and we would it would be like an echo chamber that we're in. So I think that sort of like dynamic gives us um, an interesting blend of conversations that we have. And so for many times we would say, God, I wish we were recording this conversation. And so we, we grabbed some microphones and set up a podcast account and here we are. That's it. Yeah. Yes. We would say that so often we should be recording this. I think probably 70% of the conversations we have, one of us says, I wish we recorded this. Mm -hmm. But it's also during the time when I'm taking a walk and there's like very loud cars and trucks and buses driving by and my kid's school bus driver is yelling out the window, get in. <laughs> yes. If I, if, if I didn't know where you actually lived, I would think you lived in Manhattan because it's just like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh every time we talk on it's the phone. It's absolutely insane. I told you when I was looking at my house, there was not one single car that drove by and I'm like, oh, this is just such a nice little quiet. No, I moved in. It's like tractor trailer trucks, like really loud cars with a, such a loud muffler, motorcycles, everything. But it's honestly strange because some points in the day, there are no cars. And then others, there's just a ton. And so, but we have, yes, had so many wonderful conversations. And I also think that we're very alike too in our ways of thinking about things, even though we have different relationship experiences. But we've also had similar relationship experiences and and somewhat similar pasts in some of the situations that we've been in. So I do think that we connect on that quite frequently. And I am very pro whatever you want to do in your relationship is acceptable. And so in my practice, I work with couples who do practice non-monogamy and who do try opening their relationship. And we work on practical tools and skills that will ensure relationship success. Um, I want to share a little bit of my background because I kind of shared it in part before, but 
I originally got my master's in integrative health and healing, not knowing what I wanted to do with that, was interested in therapy, marriage and family therapy, was interested in midwifery. And my master's program was different segments where we would learn about all different topics around natural health and healing. And so we studied optometry and we studied therapy and we studied naturopathic medicine and we studied shamanism. And so I got a taste of all of these different entities of natural health and healing. So after I got my master's, I really had to decide what do I want to specialize in and then get further education for that. So a part of me was really at a standstill and that was quite frustrating to go through a program and say, oh, I thought that I was going to come out of this knowing what I would want to do and having the skills and education to do that. But then I started having kids and so I stopped and kind of just put that on hold and continued working in my finance job. So I completed Somatica, but after Somatica, I did start my business. And so I started, I began seeing clients, which was absolutely wonderful. And in the beginning, it was heavily focused on sex. I had lots of people coming to me, mostly men with sexual dysfunction issues. And as the years went on, I started to really understand that the place that I really wanted to specialize and focus on is marriages, long-term marriage, long-term relationships and marriages. And so I went on to get a certification and then additional training in areas that I felt would be really helpful in working with clients in my practice. And so I became certified in codependency recovery. I trained in dialectical behavior therapy, which is, which are a set of emotional regulation tools that are primarily used to work with clients that have borderline personality disorder. But these tools are emotional regulation tools that everyone should be taught by their parents and caregivers when they're younger. It's just that people with BPD do not have these skills. And they, and they need them. Everyone needs them. So DBT training, codependency certification, complex trauma in the nervous system training, conflict resolution, management, mediation. And then I'm currently training again in trauma because I want to work with clients more deeply on trauma. But after working with clients for a while, you start to realize, ooh, what do I really like? And I noticed that I love working with couples. And I've had a lot of therapists say to me, oh my gosh, you work with couples. That's so hard. And it's interesting because I find it a lot easier to work with couples than just to work with an individual. Because when I work with an individual, you see one slice of the pie. And when you see their partner, you get a whole different perspective and how they how they relate to their partner and what comes up and what type of triggers. Because when you're alone and you're not in a relationship, and not saying that people who work with individuals are not working with individuals who are in a relationship, but it just gives me so much more of a perspective of like, why would this person be sensitive to, triggered by this, have a conflict in this area? If I get to know their partner as well, it's just so much more clear to me. Um, but I think that working with couples absolutely is challenging. And it's one of the things that makes 
my practice so satisfying for me too, because I do feel continuously challenged. So, and then currently I'm developing a card game, just ordered 200 decks. So excited. I actually, yeah, figured all of that out. So yeah, excited about that. And then I'm writing a book. It's taking a while. I don't know whether to go the path of just self-publishing or reaching out to publishers. I think that I'm going to reach out to publishers first and see, because I think that that's, you know, I think that's the goal to have someone have a desire to publish it rather than publishing it myself. Um, And then we're doing the podcast. And then I just started working with a nonprofit or not a nonprofit. Nope. Cancel that. Started working with a startup company that has reached out to me. And I'm excited about that. So I like to have my hands in a lot. I like to keep busy. I am obviously busy running my practice, raising my children, running my household. And then we got the pod. And you also have a kick-ass TikTok with like 10,000 subscribers. Oh, I do have my TikTok. Yeah. 20,000. Good content. 20,000. I'm so sorry. I thought it was 10. I, I don't use TikTok. That's okay. But. I, yeah, I... I'm not a big fan of social media. It's it's a place that people go to see perfection that's not actually real. And mm-hmm. I struggle with that. And I was actually just having a conversation with a friend and her partner the other day, a few weeks ago, who they have older children. And their opinion was that I need to let my children get social media when they're older and it's better if I just have a rule that they follow me or that I can follow them on social media rather than trying to restrict them using it themselves. And I I fully disagree with that. And I think in the social dilemma, the people who actually developed those applications do not let their kids have social media. Isn't that correct? Yeah. And in Silicon Valley, at least in the tech world, I mean, most parents, from what I'm told, I'm not a parent. Most parents are quite aware of the dangers of excessive screen time, especially to younger kids. There's been a lot of studies, I think, that show it destroys creativity, it destroys destroys attention. I mean, how many of us have been on a plane or something and seen some screaming kid and one parent throws an iPad in front of her and all of a sudden she's completely pacified and engrossed? Everyone's thankful that she's quiet, but, you know, she's like three years old and she's on an iPad. And so that's very well known in, um, in Silicon Valley. And most parents don't even allow their kids to have screen time until they're four or five or something like that. But it's also limited, you know, it's limited to like a Kindle or something, something that's like kids related. It's not like a full on iPad that they could access YouTube and just watch YouTube videos for hours. So I unfortunately I think that a lot of parents do just allow their kids or they don't know exactly what their kids are doing. Like, oh, yeah. it, 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 it really scares me. I, yeah. Yeah. I try, I definitely limit the amount of TV time that my kids have. They have Kindles. They probably use once a month or once every other month at most. And I absolutely do not allow them to use my cell phone. I put my passcode back on because my daughter was grabbing my cell phone and making videos and taking like 200 pictures at a clip. I'm like, okay, I don't need that in my life right now. But 
But so I do with my TikTok and I do enjoy making videos. I enjoy the comments that I receive. I also enjoy when people find me and they find my content helpful and they reach out to work with me. So I do get a great deal of clients there. And so I will continue to post, but also it is a place of business for me. It's not pleasure. Not that I don't sometimes find myself in the scroll because I think we all get stuck in the scroll at some points, but I'm very aware. I leave my phone downstairs stuck in the scroll. Yeah, I I know. It's terrible. It's terrible, but I leave my phone downstairs at night. So I'm just really thinking about this for my kids. Like, how am I going to do this with my kids? I think I can have them leave their phones downstairs, like no phones in the bedrooms. And yeah. I don't know. We don't need to go down this path completely. But that could be a separate conversation when kids are involved. Separate. Yeah. I mean, I do the same, though. Right. I have my Apple iPhone charger here in, by my desk. I do not bring the phone into my bedroom when I, it's nighttime. But that's, you know, that's a separate conversation. And plenty of people talk about, you know, blue light or whatever at night. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, I'll tell about myself real quick, then we need to wrap up. But um, my background is in tech. I, had a, I did computer science as an undergraduate, uh, worked at Microsoft for a few years, went to a big tech company after that for the next 15 years. Um, they went public a few years ago. And for the last year or two, I've been doing venture capital stuff, mostly out here in Santa Monica. Um, I have no connection to therapy or coaching or relationships. This was all just something I happened into, as I said earlier, but... I am absolutely fascinated by the subject of human relationships, human dynamics. Um, I don't know why, but I find it a very engrossing subject. And so I really like talking about it a great deal with all of my friends, in fact. And I like observing other people's relationships and just questioning them, not from a um, just from, a, from an angle of curiosity. Like, how does that work? I wonder how that works. Oh, interesting. Just very curious about how humans work with each other. Maybe that's just because I grew up a big geek and everything and, you know, human relationships don't compute when you're writing computer code, which is very logical and rational and makes sense every single time. But anyway, beyond that, um, I'm out here in L.A. hiking a lot, surfing a lot. Um, I'm actually working on a book as well about my startup. And uh, I've got several thousand entries into it. It probably won't come out for another year or two haven't figured out if I'm going to self-publish or find a publisher. Worry about that later. Um, but beyond that, yeah, just living the life out here in LA and uh, the, the hedonistic, non-monogamous life that we have out here in LA and enjoying enjoying everything that the sunshine has to offer. Um, focusing a lot on health nowadays. Now that I'm 42, it's uh, that's the only thing that really matters to me is my, my general physical health as well as my emotional health. And uh, even quit drinking alcohol so I could spend more time focusing on that. So, But quitting alcohol is like really popular here in L.A. now. Apparently, like most people, if you're going out to dinner, they won't take alcohol. They'll do a microdose of mushrooms. So psychedelics are very, very common out here as well. I also think psychedelics can be very helpful with uh, trauma and therapy. So we can talk about that another time, but um, it's a, it's a fantastic area of research and I'm grateful that it's being decriminalized in in many areas of the country right now and taken very seriously by the FDA. 
And yeah, that's that. Yeah, I was going to say you have some personal experiences of utilizing psychedelics in a therapeutic setting that oh. we can talk about later on. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. The, the, the one-liner is that I did MDMA-assisted psychotherapy a few months ago, and it was absolutely life-changing, at least while I was on the MDMA. But imagine, just briefly, just imagine, close your eyes, just imagine what it would be like to walk around and live your existence without any concepts of fear. Hmm. No fear, no anxiety. Yeah. Magic. It was magic. And then I think this is something I need to prove and I'm going to try to prove over the next few months. I think we can obtain that state in a sober environment no need for drugs but we'll get I'll, I'll get back to you on that later that's my that's my second book i'm working on but i need mm-hmm. to prove the hypothesis to myself first anyway that's that yeah well this is awesome i i'm happy that we did this because I think it's important for our podcast listeners to know us and understand us and like the lens that we're looking through. Like I, at this point in my life, practice monogamy. I work with people who have all different relationship styles and I'm open to anything and everything pretty much, but I have a more traditional mindset because of the life that I lived. I have lived so far, I guess. However, I'm extremely open and I love learning. Um, and then, you know, you have a different perspective in a, in a whole different lifestyle. And I think it makes us a cool team. So it's going to be an interesting an interesting ride, and we're going to have some interesting conversations. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We are a cool team. I mean, if you see us together in person, we're always laughing and having a great time. So now, we we're, just gonna, now we're just going to make it virtual and on a podcast, and everyone can come along for the ride. It should be fun. Yeah. All right. All right. I think we can wrap up. We're just about 40 minutes. That's a good time to stop. Sweet. All right. All right, everyone. Have a good evening. Thanks for listening.